0: Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17, God's word reads, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus, with all his saints. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Well, as we were just mentioning and talking about a minute ago, as we were singing the songs, uh, obviously, we've been going through missions season here at First Pres, and as so, it's, it's been a little bit of time since we've been in First Thessalonians, so uh, I love to give background and And recap anyway and review, uh, just to kind of remind us where we are, reorientate us, but I think it's especially important uh, when we haven't been in 1 Thessalonians, the book that we're going through uh, in several weeks. So for just a little bit of a uh, reminder, a refresher where we are, uh, the church at Thessalonica was planted by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. Again, Paul had wanted to go into Asia or northern Turkey he had been there before that's where uh, the churches or the areas like galatia and who peter in uh, first peter will write to and paul on a second missionary journey wants to go back, back up into that area but he's hindered from doing so we read about in acts in fact luke writes that the holy spirit would not let him go up into asia and again this is northern northwestern turkey that he's talking about here not you know china or japan or something but He wanted to go to this area, and again, the Holy Spirit, we're told, would not let him go there. We see, of course, God's sovereignty there, where whatever was hindering Paul from going there, we don't know what it was. Uh, But Luke writing this can just as, as easily say what it was that hindered him, or he can attribute it to God, that the Holy Spirit kept him from going there. But of course, that night, Paul has a vision while he's dreaming of a man in Macedonia. And again, this would be across the sea there in the Aegean Sea, I remember from seminary, Adriatic is in between Italy and Greece, because you got Adrian, like Rocky, and he's Italian, so it's near Italy, and then so the Aegean's the one in between Greece and Turkey, I had to use that right there on the fly, but, and it worked, so Dr. Kara, uh, a lot of his little pithy sayings uh, are very helpful, anyway, uh, but the Aegean Sea, they had to pass the Aegean Sea and go over to what is now Greece or Macedonia, Uh, To the Gentiles the Europeans not just the Gentiles I should say but the Europeans and that's what he does and eventually he makes his way to Thessalonica And if you remember Paul's in Thessalonica and he's there for three Sabbaths, so close to a month and he's preaching in the synagogue and The Jews in Thessalonica by and large it doesn't mean every single Jew there but by and large They're quite hostile to Paul And they do not like his preaching in fact Paul is run out of town Uh, He goes to Berea, and when he's in Berea, the Thessalonian Jews actually show up there as well. They make the about 40-mile journey there uh, just to let them know about this this false guy here, Paul, to run him away again. So Paul then uh, does not want to, but he's told to flee to Athens, which is quite a bit away, and that's what he does. Paul goes down to Athens because they're seeking possibly to take his life. And while Paul is in Athens, uh, he's really struggling and what he's really struggling with, and this is mainly what we're going to be looking at in our, our portion tonight of his word, is Paul is struggling with how the Thessalonians are doing. He is very concerned as to whether or not the Thessalonians are persevering or not in the faith. That is what Paul is concerned with. Uh, you know, pathetically, and I will say that, uh, you know, we, I stand here tonight and I'm concerned about flying in weather because I'm not a good flyer, and I've told you all that before, and I'm getting ready to fly. The Apostle Paul had difficulties in his life as well, but the number one thing that we're going to see that Paul had anxiety about in his life, and we're going to see he refers to it as anxiety, is his care for the churches. Uh, Paul desperately cared for the people that were believers. Um, you know in Romans that Romans chapter 9, that Paul desperately even cares for his fellow Jews who by and large had rejected anything that he had come to believe, who believed that Paul was out of his mind and were even persecuting him. You probably remember that Paul says that he would be cut off. He would rather be cut off, that is, himself from Christ. That means he would rather be accursed. He would rather uh, be lost if that meant that some of his kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jews, would be saved. Now uh, Paul says, and "I don't think Paul is just using hyperbole there. I think he's being serious. Uh, that is a great love to say he cares about these people. And again, uh, these people in Rome that he's talking about are the Jews in, in chapters 9 through 11, that they might come to faith. Well, we see here in, in Thessalonica in First and Second Thessalonians that he cares deeply about the Gentiles as well, and wants to make sure that they are persevering and pressing on in the faith as they face difficulties, just as he did when he was there in Thessalonica as well. Of course, also, the fact that Paul was in Thessalonica for such a short period of time, again, maybe a month, maybe even slightly shorter than a month, and he's not, he, of course, he did go to the synagogue, but has run out, and then is mainly Gentiles who come and, and listen to him. Um, he's not coming to people who have a great understanding of the Old Testament, and now they're just seeing kind of how, the, how Jesus fulfills what the, Great Test, what the Old Testament puts forward. Uh, instead, he's, he's teaching the ABCs of the faith to mainly to pagans who are there in Thessalonica. These are Greek pagans that Paul, for the most part, is talking to. And so it's not really surprising that in a month, uh, Paul finds out that the Thessalonians have some really, really shockingly deficient views on ser- several key areas of doctrine Again, he's going to get to these uh, probably next week in chapters 4 and 5, but particularly with regards to the resurrection of the dead, people had thought that the dead, those who had died in Christ and when Jesus returned somehow are going to miss out on something, and Paul has to correct their misunderstanding there of, of Christ's return and, and the resurrection, uh, but also uh, their understanding of the return of Jesus itself, their People in Thessalonica who somehow—it sounds crazy to us uh, today—but we have some somewhat of a background in the Bible, I hope. But um, there were people who thought that the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord, uh, had already come. Paul asks them, "How how can you believe that that Christ has already come?" Uh, But they do. There were people that were teaching that Christ had already come, and they had somehow missed out. Maybe it was a local thing somewhere, and they had missed out. And so Paul is going to uh, correct that. Uh, incorrect understanding of the the return of Jesus as well. So he's going to deal with these theological issues. But tonight we're going to look at what is an even greater reason why he wrote this letter, uh, not just—I uh, no, shouldn't say just—but not the resurrection of the dead, as unbelievably important as that is uh, to the faith, nor the second coming of Jesus and how they're tied together and everything else. Uh, but he wrote this letter because he loved the Thessalonians. He genuinely loved them and cared for them, and he was overjoyed. He was absolutely over the moon uh, with hearing how they're doing, and they're doing great. And Paul wants them to know how, how full of joy he is to hear that they are doing well. So we're going to really see the heart of a true pastor here, and this is a very convicting uh, part of scripture for Uh, somebody who is a pastor. And I would say by extension, um, it's not only pastors uh, who should care about the flock and other Christians. Um, All of us should, of course. Uh, We are to remember one another and pray for one another. So uh, let's take Paul again. He's not the Lord Jesus. He's a sinner like us. And uh, let's look at his heart for the people and and pray that God would also give us this heart uh, that Paul has. So we'll start tonight looking at Paul's care, uh, Paul's care for the people. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20 here for Paul's care for the people in Thessalonica. You see in, in verse 17, as we start this section, that the Apostle Paul talks about being torn away from those believers And Paul really was torn away. He in no way wanted just to leave. Paul uh, was made to leave the city. In fact, he was going to go back to the city, but his fellow believers, including Timothy and so forth, told him not to because they knew it would be too dangerous for him to do so. Now, you possibly have a a different translation. I have the ESV here, Uh, but the word is actually translated in some translations as orphaned. He was orphaned and uh, that is what the word means, literally, in the Greek, is that he was orphaned. Uh, so he sees himself as being this, you know, I can't imagine the, the stress and the, the pain that somebody would go through to be orphaned, from, taken away from their parents. Um, but that's the, the word that Paul uses for himself, having to be separated from the Thessalonians. Derek Thomas, the uh, head pastor at First Presbyterian Church in, in Columbia, uh, talked about Paul, how he's talked earlier in the letter, and he uses these, these, these familial terms, and how he talked and likened himself to being a mother earlier in this letter, about how much he cared for them as a, a nursing mother cares for her, her own children. As we see a, a lot of mothers of young children here caring for, for their young ones, and Paul likens himself to that. talks about being gentle and affectionate with them, But then he can go on to talk about being like a father with them, who's exhorting them and encouraging them and and pointing them in the right way and being firm with them when necessary. Paul says that he, like a father, acted this way with them as well. But Derek Thomas brings out the fact that he now, he has talked about himself as a mother and then likened himself to a father, and now he speaks of himself as an orphan. So we've moved from the parents to now the child who's been torn away. And again, he mentioned this as well. He's, he's mixing a metaphor because now he's the child. But the point is, this hurts Paul tremendously to not be with the Thessalonians, to have to be apart from them because he, he genuinely cares about them. And I think even just right off the bat, this is a, a very, uh, I hope, uh, heart-searching portion of scripture for all of us uh, that Paul, this man, cared this much about this this group of people in Thessalonica, who never, he never he's known for about a month. Um, you know, can I say that I worry and care about people that much? Uh, the students I teach, well, my family, my wife and my son, or uh, my extended family, but the church—do um, we look at one another and, and care for one another? that we see Paul doing that here uh, in First Thessalonians. And of course, we're not to read this and think, well, you know, this is the way Paul was, but that means nothing for us. No, uh, we can use Paul really as an, as an example, at least here, in the way that he cares for uh, the flock. But again, he cares deeply for them, and he wanted to be with them. If you look again at verse uh, 17, look at at what Paul says after talking about being an orphan. says, for a short time, and he talks about the fact that he was taken away in person but not in heart. But then what he talks about after that, uh, in verse 18, he says that he desired, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 17, he says that he desired to be with them so that he could see them face to face. He wants to be with them in person. I don't think Paul, uh, when everything is fine and there's no risk in everything, would have been a fan of distance, sort of uh, church on computer screens and so-called satellite campuses and so forth. Paul wanted to be with people in person, and the other apostles do as well. Uh, With the ninth graders, and we go through the New Testament, and as we went through the general epistles, and I really noticed this more than ever this year, and going through 2 John and 3 John, where John talks about the fact that he has other things to say to him, but he would much rather do it in person. He wants to talk to them. Um, The apostles wanted to be around the people, uh, the other believers, other Christians. Jesus wanted to be around other Christians. This wasn't some armchair theologian or somebody just sitting in his office and writing these sermons, maybe, and then going back to his office and had nothing to do with them. The apostle Paul is the greatest... Uh, a theologian that God has ever given us, apart from obviously Jesus, but uh, he is a missionary as well, and he's with people and desires to be with them and see them face to face. You know, um, when I was finishing seminary, and it was a very strange time because COVID began right around that time, and, uh, you know, everything just became very strange and different for all of us. This is back in the beginning of 2020, right? Or it was 2019, Okay, it's 2020, and I remember uh, there was a particular church that um, one of my mentors knew up in the Raleigh area, and I remember talking to them um, about uh, they had a position and talking to them, and they were kind of asking me what my idea of church life and and so forth uh, looks like or what it should look like. I remember referring to it as a, a community or a family. And uh, I mean, I don't think that's very difficult. The Bible does that all the time. Uh, But the idea that believers, uh, you know, not some sort of cultish way or anything, but are together a lot. Um, They should be together a lot. Meeting together, having fellowship together, doing things together. Uh, It should not be the case. uh, And I realize there can be providential hindrances and people that need to move and other things that happen. But where we only see each other, perhaps... Once a week for maybe an hour at a time. And that's all you have to do with the other people in the church. That's not How the Bible puts forth the family of God the church Uh, The Bible envisions the church as being together quite a bit and I mean quite literally together uh, Meeting together quite often. It's not hard to uh, Understand as you read the book of acts. I mean people met every single day Uh, If you go to countries where people are being persecuted and everything going on, they meet every single day. They'll meet before they have to go to work. People wake up at four in the morning to meet, uh, to be together every single day, because that is what they crave more than anything, especially when all the distractions of this world have been torn away from them, whether that be through persecution or whatever kind of suffering, that what they have is the only true thing anyway, is God. They come together with people of a like heart, but again, that is what Paul's heart was, was to be with other believers. And that should be our heart as well, as to be with one another face-to-face, with other believers seeking after the Lord. So again, I brought that up because, uh, the talking to this other church, because I could tell uh, that some people thought, yeah, you know, that, that sounds good, but I could tell some other people thought, like, you're crazy. You know, like I brought up that cult sort of thing. I kind of seemed to think like, You know, you think people should really be around each other, like, often, like, in each other's homes and all this? It's like, yeah, uh, that's absolutely, that's what the Bible teaches, and if you have a good fellowship, that's a sign of a good, healthy church, is that people are together a lot. It's great that we have midweek services, and we call up others to, uh, you know, maybe have them over and, and things like that throughout the week, and again, that is a huge benefit of living in a small town. Uh, Even in Charlotte, where we're in a great church there, it is so much easier in a place like Dillon that's so much smaller to, I mean, you're just kind of forced to, but it's great to see other brothers and sisters all the time. It's it's actually a huge benefit uh, that we have. It should hopefully lead us to uh, being with each other more often. Well, again, Paul's care, and we see in verse 18, getting back to the text here, Another reason why Paul was, uh, why he cared, and and we'll get into our next point in a minute, but why he was also concerned so much about uh, the Thessalonians, and we see this in verse 18, and he says this, that he wanted to come and see them, And, and again, he said face to face, but he says, Satan hindered us, that Satan hindered him, in particular is what he means, from coming and seeing them. Now remember, I mentioned a minute ago that in the book of Acts, Luke can just as easily say that the Holy Spirit kept Paul from going into the part of Turkey that he wanted to go to, to strengthen the churches there. And again, in God's providence, I don't know if that meant the roads were out, or if it meant that Paul was supposed to be allowed to as a Roman citizen, but somebody just came forward and did whatever. But Luke, narrating Acts, can say the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing that. Of course, it was to send him to Europe uh, well, here Paul can see that he can't go to Thessalonica, that he's being hindered from doing so, and he can say it's the devil who's doing that. And of course, when we read here that the devil hindered him, uh, we're not thinking of some guy in red with the uh, horns and so forth standing there not letting Paul go forth into Thessalonica. Uh, most like, we don't know exactly what Paul is talking about here. Uh, he doesn't become more uh, specific about it. Um, sometimes... I think incorrectly you'll find people talking about Paul's uh, physical ailments that he did struggle with, even things like epilepsy and other things. Sometimes people get into sort of, that's the devil and so forth. I do not believe that is what Paul is talking about here. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't think so. Uh, It's probably Paul is thinking of those Jews who are in Thessalonica uh, that kicked him out of Thessalonica and... As we find in the letter, the Gentiles there as well, who are very hostile to the Thessalonian believers, he's most likely referring to them. Somehow, Paul, who's a Roman citizen, has every legal right in the world to go to Thessalonica as not being allowed to because somehow they're obstructing him from doing so. But the point is that Paul says the devil is hindering him. And the truth that we see is where, where God acts, the devil does as well. When God is moving somewhere, the devil is going to as well. Uh, When Jesus was on this earth ministering, well, more so than anywhere else in the Bible, and I believe for all of history, we start to see demonic oppression all over the place popping up. Why? Because they're hostile to the Lord and to what he's doing. And so Paul is facing uh, hardship and he's facing oppression and and, uh, hardship from the devil as well because God is using him to plant churches. So again, when we face persecution, it's not something that should uh, make us surprised. When we're trying to do something for God and and we face uh, people who don't like it, or we face a bunch of hindrances in the way, that should not uh, surprise us. Uh, That also should not discourage us um, when we face those things. Of course, Paul does right here as well. But again, uh, we see Paul's care and concern for the church and that he wanted to be with them uh, and desires to be with them. So we've seen his, his concern or his care. Um, and we move on now to Paul's uh, great concern, his concern for the church in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. Now again, as I said a minute ago, pastors and ex- all Christians, by extension, should care... And have concern for one another and for, I would say, ultimately, not only, but ultimately for the spiritual state of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see here in in chapter 3 in verses 1 and 5, Paul talks about a a concern that he had for the Thessalonians. And something he says he he couldn't bear. Look at verse 1 where he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, Paul almost always, when he refers to we, is referring to himself. Uh, But he says here, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, this crushing weight that he thought was going to flatten him out, uh, he was under great stress. And as you look down at verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, um, he's referring to the same thing, because he's talking about sending Timothy, but Paul is under great distress, And his great distress is, again, he is concerned of what's going on several hundred miles north of him in Thessalonica, if the Thessalonians are pressing on or not. You know, uh, this was uh, brought up, I believe, again by Derek Thomas, and I don't mind uh, resting on him at all. But he quoted all the the difficulties that Paul went through in his time as a missionary. And the Apostle Paul brings those up in, in 2 Corinthians the weakness that he has, the persecution that he has. And he actually says these are the signs of a, of a true apostle. Not that everybody loves them, but the, the things, the persecution that he faces. He says that five times he received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, last one, that's the same thing that Jesus faced the night he was crucified. Five times Paul received this by the time he wrote Second Corinthians. He received that from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure, all those things in the life of the Apostle Paul, these extremely difficult things. Remember, when ironically, when Paul's persecuting the church and making them suffer, and the Lord Jesus shows up to him on the road to Damascus and saves him and makes him apostle, and he tells uh, Ananias that this is the one of his chosen instruments, but he's going to show him how much he needs to suffer for his namesake. Uh, there's irony there, but all these things that Paul suffers, at the end, verse 28, he says, And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. On top of everything Paul has, the, the being beaten, uh, being lied about, all the dangers in all the time, uh, Paul's greatest difficulty that he deals with is his pressure or anxiety. It is the same word, uh, that he has with his concern for the churches. So, again, Paul uh, is concerned about the churches. He has a a great desire. And again, I think that needs to speak to us. Not only should we care for others, uh, but we should be concerned about their well-being, how they are doing, how is their walk with the Lord. And that is Paul's great concern, is not how they're doing physically. Does that matter? 100%. Do we have biblical warrant for praying that people would be healed? As I just did with Lee not feeling good. You know, if Lee Goldge is not here and he's able to be, that means things are not going well. He actually texted us and said, uh, he said, I don't know if it's COVID or the flu, but I'm ready to go see Jesus. Pray for me. And uh, if Lee says that and he's not here, uh, that means Lee's real sick. Uh, And I do. I prayed for Lee and I can go before God and pray for him. And in 3 John, John talks about he prays that, that, uh, that their health may be, may be good, that they might have good health. So there is a scriptural warrant to pray for people's health and so forth. However, that pales in comparison, or at least it should pale in comparison to our concern for somebody's spiritual well-being, for the state of their soul and how they're doing. Again, Paul took up a collection for the Jews in Judea. They were poor. And he'd go around to all these churches, and he does here as well, and says, you've benefited from their background, basically. And now they are poor. They are in desperate need. They deserve to be supported by you. They, they didn't have to, he didn't say, well, who cares? They're saved. If they die, who cares? They're in glory, which is true. Paul said, no, let's, let's feed them. They deserve for us to help them out. And we should absolutely be concerned for people. Uh, it is not wrong at all for us to go to places like places around here in Dillon or Robson County or other areas around here, like a lot of us plan on doing this next week and doing things like yard work or going and doing manual labor in areas and trying to help them out. That's actually a great thing and it is something that Christians should do absolutely 100%. However, uh, that can't be separated from being concerned about the greatest need that people have which is the state of their soul. Uh, I don't think anybody a, a trillion years from now will say, uh, you know, they didn't share Jesus with me or anything like that, but you know what? I had a great-looking yard right then. The pines are everything was perfect, so I'm good. Um, the biggest need that people have is to be reconciled to God. Again, if the gospel and the Bible is true, then clearly that has to be the most important thing. Not to the neglect of other things, but it is the most important thing. And that is what Paul's worried about here with them as well. If you look uh, back in our text again, and if you, look, if you look in verse 3, I'm sorry, if you look in uh, verse 5, I'm sorry, uh, he knows they're going through affliction. In verse 5, he says, when he could bear it no longer, he sent, and that means he sent Timothy uh, to go and learn, to, to go, uh, he couldn't take any more, he sends Timothy, go find out how they're doing, and come back and tell me, this is a long journey, back then especially, uh, this would be several months, Timothy goes, he comes back, but this is what he wants to find out, it says, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain, his fear is that they would fall away, that first and foremost was his fear, not even martyrdom, uh, it's, Uh, True, the early church feared false doctrine. They feared apostasy way more than they feared death because they knew that for the believer to die means to be in the presence of Christ. You know, Paul in in Philippians talks about to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord, and he talks about actually desiring to leave and be with the Lord, Uh, but he knows it's more beneficial for the others if he stay and labor with them, and that's why he knows that he'll stay. But Again, I'm not downplaying people's physical needs, but if that is to the detriment of their spiritual needs or if that's uh, anywhere even close to that, then, then we're not being bounced like the Bible is as well. Notice the language he uses there that they'd be tempted. It's the same language of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they were tempted and the tempter came and they, they believed Satan and they disbelieved God and they took from, from the apple and Again, I mean, our sin comes from the, the same thing. We hear God and we decide, mm, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. I'm going to go do something. I, I know a better way. Or you're saying that you make these promises, but yeah, I, you're, not, you know, you're not totally serious about it. And, and that's what Paul is really concerned with with the Thessalonians is, is of their falling away. And uh, uh, so again, we need to care, like I said, as much uh, for one another, our children, as Paul did for the Thessalonians, and, and not just their material future, which we should care about, the Bible teaches that we should, but particularly for their souls. And finally, uh, that brings us to our last and brief point, which is Paul's joy uh, in verses 6 through 13. And again, Paul is just in the clouds in this portion of 1 Thessalonians, in this portion of the letter. Um, Remember, Paul sent Timothy up to find out how they're doing. Timothy has returned, as you see in verse 6 there. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. The words that the Apostle Paul uses are very strong here. Uh, He's not just, oh, that's good news. He is just, I can't even think, I keep saying over the moon, but I can't think of anything else. He is ecstatic about the fact that the Thessalonians are persevering and thriving. He mentions that in verse 6, and then he continues on. Verse 7, listen to these words. He says he's comforted in all distress and affliction. Everything he's going through, he's got this great comfort And that great comfort is he knows those people up the road in Thessalonica are doing well and they still care about us, which is another sign that they're doing well and staying with the gospel. Uh, Paul is doing well, hearing that they're spiritually thriving. Now, Again, let's think about ourselves and when we hear about people we care about, when we hear about their spiritual state, they're doing great. They're at a new church, things are going great. I hope that we are thrilled when we hear something like that. Uh, Notice in verse 8, he says, Now we live, when he's heard this report from them, he lives when he hears that they're standing fast. And Paul's whole reason for being uh, is hearing that the churches are thriving and doing well. Remember, this is a man who knows that he did not know God, even though he was raised as strictly religious and reading the Old Testament scriptures, the Word of God, as much as anybody, and he was as blind as you could be. And he knew as of utter grace that he had gone from somebody estranged from God, condemned, rightfully so, to God out of sheer mercy, deciding to break into that man's life, Paul, to rescue him and fit him for glory forever to know him. And Paul wants that. That That's what we should all want. That should to at least some extent, be our testimony as well. Maybe we're not Paul. We're not Paul. But in a sense, the same thing has happened to us, at least in a certain sense, or maybe not to the to quite the degree. But it, if you are a Christian, that has happened to you as well. And we should care and want for other people to have this as well in their lives. So he says he lives when he finds that they're doing good. And he, says, he talks about the thanksgiving he can give for all the joy, in verse 9, that they have about hearing that people, the Thessalonians, are doing so well. He's full of joy and gives thanks to God because hearing that others are doing well. Again, of utmost importance to us to be, to see the growth and grace of others. If we truly love someone, I'm convinced, I think you would all agree, uh, if we really love them, not for ourselves, but with a, the biblical God's love, we'll, we'll want what's best for them, Right? I mean, I think we want what's best for our kids. Well, the greatest thing for anybody is for them to know God. You know, again, if this is all true, and it is, uh, then the thing we should desire most for our children, uh, for our family, our family members, for our neighbors, um, for the stranger that we see somewhere is that they know God. That is the most important thing in the world. There's nothing that even compares to it. Now, Paul finishes this letter doing exactly what we should do for one another. He puts really what he said to, to work as he prays for them, in verses 11 and 13. And look at the two things he prays for really quickly. He prays for grace in their everyday struggles, in verse 12, and that they be kept for God, that God would, per, would preserve them, keep them, until that final day. And again, those two things are not mutually exclusive. God will. of the time, keep those whom he has begun a good work in. If God has regenerated you, you've been born again, you're really a believer, God will absolutely preserve you until that last day. And the logic in the Bible is not, therefore, go do whatever you want and who cares. The logic of the Bible is, therefore, press on, knowing that God will keep you, but you need to press on as well. Is it up to, will we press on by God's grace? Yes, we will. Is it? Can we ever look at ourselves and give glory to ourselves? Absolutely not. But the Bible does not teach because God will preserve us, therefore who cares? Um, he does, says to press on all the more for glory. Look here in verses 12 and 13 as we close. He now prays and he blesses God with the doxology. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase And abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. May our desire and our prayer for one another be that God would continue to grow us and keep us until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when we will see him and become like him for we will see him as he is. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we come to you tonight, and Father, we just, uh, Lord, you, Lord, I can say that you're a merciful God. I can say that you're a gracious God, that you are a loving God, that all these things. And Lord, all of those are true, but they are they don't do justice to who you are. Uh, but Lord, you have revealed us yourself to us in a way that we can understand a, a real revelation, not the full extent as you are infinite, Lord, but we know that you're glorious. We know that you are utterly holy. We know you're slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Lord, we know that you are a merciful God. If you were not, we would all be destroyed, and rightfully so. Father, thank you for having mercy upon us. Thank you for having mercy upon the Apostle Paul and preserving these writings, that we could see these as well. Father, would we remember that in your word, Christ calls sinners those who are ill, those who are sick to himself, not the righteous. Uh, Would we be those who are willing uh, to open ourselves up to you, knowing you already know us, Lord, uh, to be healed, to be made well, to be made uh, whole, Lord, as your children, through Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.